everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to Farmageddon Week, where we are all protesting eating any types of corn, which isn't a problem for me because I never did it anyway. But how's that going for you, Connor? Uh, it's going really well. I almost accidentally had popcorn today, but I stopped myself. So uh-huh. you realized right before you did it what that the, that I, I, I recognized the re- the potential repercussions far outweighed the immediate benefits. So exactly, I'll wait. Yeah. But it's farm again week, which means K-State up against Iowa State. And as always, we're here to give you a very in-depth scouting report on the Iowa State Cyclones. Before we do that, let's take a look back at what they did last year, starting off with their offensive stats. Yeah, so offensively, uh, well, before even that, uh, last year they went 7-6 and six and 5-4 and four in conference play. Uh, which isn't bad in a vacuum, but with the context of last year being billed as the greatest Iowa State team to ever see the field, it really is nothing short of a disappointment. And I would hope most Iowa State fans would tell you that. I'm sure many would not, but I'm sure many would. Um, But nevertheless, they still did put up some pretty solid numbers uh, here and there. Uh, they had 2,089 rushing yards at 5.1 yards per attempt last year. A lot of that because of Brees Hall and 25 rushing touchdowns. A lot of that also because of Brees Hall uh, passing. They had 3,430 3, passing yards, 7.69 yards per attempt at just over 70% completion percentage, a 22 to nine touchdown interception ratio. Then they did only convert 36.4% of their third downs last year and but they did do an excellent job of scoring in the red zone. They had 95.9% uh scoring in the red zone, 67.3%. Good catch. Uh, I had that backwards. <laughs> touchdown rate. I I figured it was backwards. There was no possible way for it to be the other one. <laughs> yeah. That was this that was the second best scoring rate in the red zone in all of FBS at 95.9%. They allowed just 21 sacks throughout the year, had 30, 31.31 points per game, and they scored a total of 407 points on the year. So pretty good numbers throughout the entire year. Other than that third down conversion rate, that was pretty bad. Uh, but I mean, completing over 70% of your passes, uh, pretty solid yards per attempt. Uh, solid rushing yards per attempt and they had like a lot of really good individual performances so mm-hmm. all in all like pretty solid offensive numbers last year granted a lot of that production's gone though which we'll get into a little later but yeah excuse me i have you for defensive stats on defense they average 20.54 points per game giving up a total of 267 points had 2441 passing yards against them with 19 passing touchdowns in terms of rushing, it was 1595 with 11 rushing touchdowns. The third down percentage that they allowed the other team to convert was 38.8%, which was good for 70th in FBS. In terms of their red zone percentage on defense, they gave up a touchdown 57.6% of the time and just a score on 72.8% of the time, which was 12th in FBS. That's also ridiculous. That's also very, very good. Because <laughs> like 
whenever you look above them, like the teams that had a better red zone defense was like Georgia, Oklahoma State, like the elite of the elite defenses. They also had six. They also had eleven interceptions, sixteen fumbles, thirty-three total sacks, and a turnover differential of plus one. So they were a really good defensive team last year, but they aren't exactly returning or adding a whole lot from what made that defense and offense so great. Connor has you for their notable returners and additions. Yeah, uh, in terms of notable returners, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, their leading receiver and one of the better receivers in the entire Big 12. I'd say he's pretty solidly a top five receiver. Um, I mean, ahead of him, you're putting what Marvin Mims, Xavier Worthy, Quentin Johnston, and I don't even know who else after that. Maybe Bryce Ford Wheaton, but uh, he's probably a top five receiver in the Big 12. Yeah, uh, he's really, really good. Uh, they bring back Will McDonald, the fourth defensive end, uh, and their sack leader. Uh, he was really great last year. Uh, had a season roughly on par uh, in terms of sacks uh, with Felix, I believe. Yeah, it was comparable. Yeah. And then uh, Anthony Johnson, Jr., defensive back. He tied for the team lead in pass deflections uh, last year. Um, and then they added Colby Reader. Uh, linebacker transfer from Delaware. He was a pretty big K-State target at one point uh, as well. So, and he's been having a really good season thus far. So, But beyond that, there weren't really a ton of notable returnees or huge ads, really. Um, because they, they did, uh, they lost a lot of pretty big names. Yeah, and I have you for what they lost. And this is just kind of scratching the surface. They lost their starting quarterback, Brock Purdy. He was Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft to the San Francisco 49ers, which I think you and I had a good like two week laugh about that because that's like it was very (laughs) funny. I felt like just very poetic, I would say. Yeah, because Skyler got drafted ahead of him. So we were even laughing about that. And, of course, they had some guy named, like, I don't know, Bryson Corridor or something. Bruce Wayne, you're thinking of. Bruce Wayne, yeah. Brees Hall, he was their leading rusher last year. He ended up getting drafted to the Jets. And the scariest player in the Big 12 last year, for me at least, Charlie Kolar, who I basically called Diet Travis Kelsey. He got drafted to the Ravens. He's on injured reserve right now. The the Ravens just hoarded tight ends from this last draft because they drafted Isaiah Likely, too. It's not fair. But... (laughs) Ridiculous. And then they lost Ioma Uwazarike. He was at their, their starting nose tackle. He ended up getting drafted to the Broncos. Then Mike Rose, the former Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was a UDFA to the Chiefs. He's now a free agent. Craig McDonald, their interception leader at safety. He transferred out. And then Jake Hummel, their leading tackler and linebacker, was an undrafted free agent to the Rams. And I believe he made the team. He's probably a special teams contributor if he did. So yeah, that that's so you're losing your starting quarterback, your leading rusher, who arguably was the reason why your offense worked. You're losing the best tight end in the league and probably the best tight end the Big 12 has seen in about five or ten years. You're losing your starting nose tackle, who was a big reason why Will McDonald was able to get a lot of one-on-one opportunities. You're losing a former Big 12 defensive player of the year. 
you're losing your young interception leader from the previous year, and you're losing your leading tackler. They lost a lot both on both sides of the ball. So it, it's not an exaggeration to say that this is a different team from last year and not in the superficial sense. And kind of going along with that is how their 2022 schedule has panned out, and Connor has you for that. Yep. So they start out the year uh, in a pretty unremarkable game. I mean, it's, it was an FCS opponent in Southeast Missouri. They win that 42-10. Not really a lot to write home about there. Uh, then they go on the road at Iowa. They do win that game 10-7. Uh, to in it's the worst game I've ever seen. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, any game against Iowa is pretty difficult to watch at times. It's a rock fight. Yeah, and 10-7, to uh, they're... I believe was a safety or two in this game or something like that. It would, um, yeah, I'm thinking so. Yeah. And yeah, the one touchdown Iowa had was like, uh, right after a blocked punt. So they had like 15 yards to go to the end zone. Just all around. I mean, objectively terrible, uh, game to watch. Cause I remember watching some of that and I just had to, I had to stop after a bit. Cause it was, it, it was borderline unwatchable. Um, not a lot of yards in that one. Then after that, they uh, take on Ohio um, and they win 43-10. Again, nothing super remarkable about that. They get Baylor at home and lose 31-224. Uh, uh, they did make a little bit of a late rally there. They were down 31-14 with about seven minutes to go. But they were unable to close the gap. And then they played one of the uglier games I've seen uh from a big 12 school in a while against KU uh and they lose that game on the road at KU 14 to 11 uh a game in which they had multiple opportunities to win but 26 rushing yards and three missed field goals uh that's going to kill you um they 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 definitely should have won that game but they could knock it out of their own way and this one and Truly had an embarrassing offense, I'd say, for a lot of the game. Yeah. Uh, KU was not much better, uh, if at all. In fact, you could argue they were worse, but really, really rough performance for Iowa State against KU. So they're coming off of that uh, right now. And it's seeming like any time that they've played a Power 5 opponent this year, uh, they've not performed very well, especially offensively. Yeah, it's... Every single game that they've played, except for maybe like every single power five game. So two of the three that they've played have been rock fights, which if you don't know what I mean by a rock fight, basically, I think I've explained my definition to you before, Connor. It's basically like watching two people just repeatedly bash each other over the head with a rock. Like there is nothing finessey about the game and you don't really want to watch it but you kind of feel obligated to because it's such a calamity that you you can't really look away. So what qualifies a rock fight is, you know, no one can score. There's a lot of turnovers. Like Even if there is an opportunity to score, they will somehow find a way to screw it up. So, yeah, uh, Iowa State might be the king of the rock fight right there next to Iowa. <laughs> Iowa plays into it more, but Iowa State probably performs better, <laughs> if that makes sense in those rock fights. Yeah. Uh, it's It's been a bit of a rough transition 
uh, for Iowa State to put it mildly away but losing so much production which being fair to them it's tough to replace what they lost yeah uh, losing Brock Purdy no matter what you say about Brock Purdy and we have a lot to say about Brock Purdy he definitely could run an offense effectively yeah. uh, Brees Hall uh, was generational Charlie Collar's generational uh, and a ton of really great players as well beyond that uh, losing all of that it's it's difficult like yeah. like being fair to Iowa State that's it for fairness to Iowa State though but uh, it, it it is not gone as well as they probably hoped going into this year yeah which speaking of that leads us to the te- stats they're three and two with a two oh and two conference record 550 rushing yards at a clip of 3.3 per attempt which is not great at all 1348 at a rate of six point uh, passing yards at a clip of 6.9 11 passing touchdowns to seven interceptions five rushing touchdowns a third down conversion rate of 45.57 which is 35th in fbs a defensive third down conversion rate of 29.03 which is 15th in fbs averaging 26 points per game on offense with 30 points 130 points for 72 against a flat zero turnover differential, eight sacks. And on defense, they're allowing scores in the red zone 83.33% of the time and a touchdown 66.7% of the time, which is tied for 67th in FBS. And then on offense, they score 77.3% of the time and a touchdown 54.5% of the time, which is 94th in FBS. Not good. Not very good on offense. Honestly, it, by the only measure that you could even say that they're rem- like remotely okay in is third down percentage. Yeah, that third down percentage is honestly pretty solid, and passing yards uh, is not terrible. Uh, like that's not bad at all, really, for passing yards through five games. It's it's the thing is is how they got there because those passing yards per attempt not great. The uh, touchdown interception rate is also not good. And we also have a lot to say about Hunter Decker's ACU, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rushing game, they are clearly missing Brees Hall. 3.3 yards per attempt on the season is bad. Just straight up bad. Granted, uh, Hunter Decker is uh, kind of bringing that down right now uh, with his minus 0.3 yards per carry. Uh, but um, once you get past Jarrell Brock, uh, it's tough sledding for a lot of the Iowa State backfield. Yeah. Which, speaking of, we can get into their offensive notes. We can talk about them in the offensive side of the ball. Connor, you have personnel and play calling. Yeah. So for their personnel, they run a lot of eleven, but they do get into twelve. Some they run and pass out of both. Uh, so it it's really not super important really because they'll they'll do whatever they want out of either of those which is primarily what they're running so it's not really predictive or anything or uh, indicative of what they may do uh their run pass split right now is a 43.3% run and a 57.7% pass they do run some no huddle but they uh don't uh go as fast as Texas Tech uh it's fairly comparable to what we do uh, where we're pretty selective with when we do it. Um, But when we do, we can go fast, but that's just not how we're always going to do things. Uh, 
Um, their offense, they run a lot of inside zone and then passing wise, they run a lot of drags and crossing routes with some RPO mixed in a lot of short stuff. Um, and they do have a, uh, a deep intermediate passing play, uh, where that two crossing routes are opposite sides of the field and just read the middle field defender. Um, then running game after that, uh, you're getting predominantly inside zone as mentioned before they do a little outside uh uh if they do pull a guard that's not a run that is a pass they're just yeah. moving the pocket yeah uh they they run play action 33 po- or 30.3% of the time uh on their dropbacks uh 7.7% of the time they're running a screen um they do like a lot of motion they do orbit motion or motioning across uh, to set up screens or just to get a look at the coverage that's being run. Uh, so that that does it. A lot of, of uh, dink and dunk uh, and zone run uh, for this Iowa State squad. Yeah, it. I, I would the, probably the most stereotypical thing I could say is it's like a like a Shanahan style West Coast offense instead of but instead of outside zone being the primary run play, it's inside zone. But it it's a West Coast dink and dunk style offense. Which leads us to their quarterback, number 12, Hunter Deckers. Hunter Deckers enters the year with 1,316 passing yards, a 69.3% completion rate, and 11 touchdowns to six interceptions. In terms of PFF grades, he has a 62 flat PFF grade, 63.9 in the passing game, and 52.3 in the running game. Uh, The running game grade is low, and even then it might be very generous. But there are also other there are other stats that are worth noting about him. 48.1% of his throws are within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage and over the middle of the field. And 35.4% of those are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. He is close to throwing 50% of his balls over the middle just in general. And that's where this offense, and that's especially where he wants to operate, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But when he is forced to throw outside the numbers, which he doesn't like doing, he has only two touchdowns compared to five interceptions. Also, fun fact, he's left-handed, which, you know, we have two new starting quarterbacks in the Big 12 who are left-handed, and one of them might be out for a while. (laughs) It, yeah. it was it was not a good week for concussions and left-handed quarterbacks. You know that that's a really strange stat, but I bet ESPN could draw something up about the most left-handed QBs to get a concussion in one week in uh, the history of football or something. It very well could be, especially because you know concussions weren't carried about until like five years ago. But <laughs> but yeah, in terms of his game. He has a pretty average arm, is in terms of his ability to get zip on it. Like it's not a terrible arm. Uh, his weakest part is his pocket awareness and pocket mobility. What I'm about to say is going to sound very mean. And I'm sorry if you're a Giants fan, you're about to catch a stray. He he has Daniel Jones level pocket awareness, which is to say none. Like He does not have any degree of pocket awareness. And because of that, he sort of just drifts. He doesn't stay in one spot in the pocket very well. He just sort of drifts. And when... On the rare occasion that he does feel the pressure, his first response is not to step up and through. It's to run backwards. Uh, That doesn't work for him because it mixes with his pocket mobility being bad and he just doesn't prep to get outside. 
And because he doesn't prep for that, it looks like he's moving in tar. And he's not fast to begin with, so he's just like he's just stacking debuffs onto himself. <laughs> he's just stacking them as he plays. And yeah. basically, if you so much as sniff the backfield, he'll probably he himself will probably turn it into a sack. That doesn't speak to his accuracy, though, because outside the numbers, he he's terrible. He's genuinely awful in terms of how accurate he is outside the numbers. Even his completions require some circus catches from Xavier Hutchinson or oh, uh, Jalen Noel. They're, they're, he just doesn't have the greatest mechanics. They're not very tight. His upper body just kind of flops when he's going through his motion, which leads to a lot of his problems on the outside. And the reason why it doesn't affect him over the middle and probably why he prefers it over the middle is because whenever you throw over the middle, your body is naturally squared to the line of scrimmage as soon as you take the snap, as opposed to looking outside where you do have to adjust your body. You do have to make sure your shoulders are pointing the right direction. He just he just doesn't do that. He also gets occasional option snaps. Those go about as well as you'd think, given everything else I've said about him. And his decision-making as a quarterback is not awful, it's just really, it's just really conservative. He's kind of like what we like. He's kind of like Adrian Martinez and how he was playing the first few weeks, where the one deep shot he took I, was basically like, okay, just throw the ball, just throw it here, see what happens, <laughs> and like, that's why he checks it down so much. So if you get running, like expect a steady dosage of drag routes and running back checkdowns. So. This week, I don't think playing deep will be the priority, not because I don't think Hunter Deckers is like has the arm strength to not throw deep. I think his arm is functionally strong enough to do that. I just don't think he's going to. <laughs> but that was a lot of talk. Uh, do you have any thoughts about Hunter Deckers before you can take the running backs and also the first two receivers? Yeah. Uh, the big thing for me about Hunter Deckers is that he really doesn't ever seem that comfortable uh, in the pocket, uh, just period. He he doesn't really seem like he's been doing that well. Anytime he's faced a uh, Power 5 team this year, it has not gone really that well for him. Uh, his grades on PFF, which granted is far from perfect, uh, he's gotten against the three uh power five teams uh 54 52 and 55 grades uh on offense and pretty much the same in the passing game so he he has a lot of issues he's young uh but he's really struggling uh as things stand uh he has as many turnover worthy plays as he has uh big time throws um granted uh, there have been some drop issues in a couple of games. That there were four drops in the KU game. That's a twelve percent drop rate. Some uh, of those I wouldn't qualify as drops. Yeah, which yeah, that might be PFF being generous uh, to uh, uh, to to Hunter Deckers. Uh, but I, I'm not the biggest fan uh, of him as a quarterback. Uh, he seems like the type of quarterback that. If you're able to get uh, consistent pressure on him, uh, you're you're gonna have a fun day as a defense. Yeah, uh, but we can move in to the running backs though, 
um, where the number one running back is injured, might play against K-State, might not. Uh, it, it, it's up in the air. Who knows what's going to happen? It's Jarrell Brock, uh, number 21. He has 361 yards on the year, 5.6 yards per attempt and two touchdowns, and then 13 receptions for 70 yards and a touchdown. Uh, PFF, he has a 69.5 grade. 72.8 passing, 71 running, 20.9 in pass protection. Couldn't be Deuce. Um, he's <laughs> literally solid, couldn't be him. Uh, he's a solid back all around. Uh, when he lowers his shoulders, he will get through weak contact. Uh, all around, he he's fine. Uh, he he's obviously not Brees Hall, and nobody expects him to be that. But he's a decent back. Um, his backups are okay at best. Uh, and that might be a little generous. Uh, number 22, Deion Salas, and number six, Eli Sanders are serviceable. Salas uh, is the better of the two. Uh, he's he's solid at everything uh, other than like lateral agility. He's pretty powerful. Uh, and Sanders is fine. Uh, neither performed particularly well last week in the absence of uh, uh, Jarrell Brock uh, with uh, Salas going 12 carries for 29 yards. Uh, and Sanders going seven carries for 20 yards. Uh, so pretty rough showing for the uh, backup Iowa State running backs against yeah. uh, KU. So we'll see what they're they're able to do maybe with a week of preparation. But uh, we we shall see. Yep. And then you can take the, the first two receivers as well, because I dropped a brick when it comes to Hunter Deckers. Fair enough. Uh, first two receivers, we have Xavier Hutchinson, number eight, and Jalen Knoll, number 13. Hutchinson, uh, like we mentioned earlier, he's one of the best receivers in the Big 12. Uh, luckily, we have a Julius Brantz or an Echo Boydo, so hopefully that will help in that department. Um, but then again, we're going to run a lot of zone, and he's going to be going over the middle a lot if they're running it like they did against KU. He's going to be running a lot of drags uh, to make things as easy as possible for Hunter Deckers. On the year, he's got 49 receptions. Uh, 504 yards, 10.3 yards per catch from five touchdowns, 82 PFF grade, 81.8 in the past game. Uh, he's far and away their best offensive player. He will be an NFL wide receiver. He is very, very good. Um, after the catch, he's really great. Uh, he gets up to his top speed quickly. Um, if you don't meet him head on, he will find a way to make you miss. Uh, and he changes speeds pretty well, uh, to create bad angles. He's a good route runner with good snap out of his routes um, when he's not running drags. That is, but that's a big caveat. That is a very big caveat. Yeah. Cause yeah, against KU, he had 13 receptions and most of them were drag routes where they were begging him to do something afterwards. Um, and then his hands are also really good and he's been good for now going on three years. So Hutchinson has been one of the more consistent receivers over the last few years as well. Yeah, he's the so, he's their second leading receiver all time, only behind Alien Laser. Oh, I, Alan love Lazard. Alien, I love Alien Laser or Alien Lizard. I love Alien, Alien Lizard. Lizard. <laughs> Alan Lazard, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's on the Packers. He just had a really good game this past weekend. Um, yeah. But Jalen Knowles, the other guy, former K-State recruiting target out of the KC area. Uh, 23 receptions for 253 yards uh, on the season, 11 yards uh, per reception, no touchdowns yet. 64.4 on PFF, 64.8 the pass game. Uh, he's going in motion a lot. He is very, very, very fast. 
Um, he catches with his hands, but doesn't always put his arms all the way out. And he's definitely a crossing route type of receiver rather than finesse uh, snapping route receiver. And I believe he also is their punt returner as things stand. Um, might I think he muffed a punt against uh, KU. Yeah, he uh, did. Uh, which uh, I think set them up to take the lead or something like that. I don't remember exactly what happened. It, it was uh, it was one failure amongst many. Uh, and they all kind of flew together. But now he he is a another really good receiver target. So there's there's while maybe the delivery system for him the ball isn't the best, uh if they can get the ball there, there is some danger to be had. Yeah, es- especially with uh both of them are really, really fast. Uh Jalen Noel especially scares me just because he he's not someone that you can press because of how they use motion. So he's going to be the Z receiver, Xavier Hutchinson. Funnily enough, he's going to be the X receiver. Yeah, Xavier is going to be X. And <laughs> he, he he's going to be the guy in motion most of the time Jalen Noel is. So you can't really get much press on him. Then their third receiver is Dimitri Stanley, a grad transfer from Colorado. He has 12 receptions on the year, 162 yards, averaging 13.5 per catch and then one touchdown a 61.3 pff grade 61.9 in the passing game he's another pretty solid route runner at least in terms of agility but the the main thing that he doesn't do as well as you'd like him to do is he doesn't he doesn't really physically body the receiver as much as you'd want he doesn't really press into him in his routes which you kind of want to do because honestly if if you're not getting away with a little bit of offensive pass interference, sometimes you're not really running the routes properly, <laughs> <laughs> which it sounds weird, but that's one of the big principles of, of playing a more physical receiver role. But he can make pretty good catches outside of his frame when needed to, especially on the outside, which given Hunter Decker's accuracy issues, that's kind of needed. And his deep posts are the route that sticks out most because I don't get there, there are a couple of times there there's always one player per team that has like one really obscure skill that I'm like, I have no idea how you got so great at this in particular, but congratulations, I guess. And for Dimitri Stanley, he is that player and it's running deep posts. So the safeties need to be alert for him running deep posts while everyone else is running crossing routes. In terms of tight ends and fullbacks, I'll take the first if you take the second. Good by me. The first one is number 43, Jared Russ or Jared Roos. It's R-U-S. It is, he has five receptions for 35 yards, a 49.2 PFF grade, 46.1 in the passing game, 64.7 pass block and 54.5 run block. He's mostly an H-back. And as a blocker, he's more of a bumper than a true mauler. That's because he doesn't really square himself to meet anyone, but he serves as a warm body that's not going to get blown over, which is why he's used as the the sift blocker and the split block on a a lot of inside zone runs. Other than that, he's a perfectly fine, serviceable H-back who does his job to a degree of effectiveness. The more interesting of the two is who Connor has for you. Yep. I uh, got Easton Dean up next, number 87. He's six foot six and absolutely huge. A uh, former high school quarterback, uh, Kansas kid actually out of LeBette County. Uh, has four receptions for 47 yards and a touchdown on the year. Uh, his grades aren't incredible, 
uh, 54.2 PFF, 52.9. And the passing game, 48.9 pass blocking, and then a 59.3 run blocking. Uh, he's uh, your traditional wide tight end. Uh, he's lining up on the line. Uh, he can flex out if he wants, but he's, he is not Charlie Kolar and nobody is. So No, da- Travis Kelsey <laughs> is like the better Charlie Kolar. <laughs> Fair enough, honestly, and I agree. Um, he's got solid hands uh, when he's targeted, um, and he is good at finding a soft spot in the defense and uh, asking for the ball uh, whenever he is uh, going to get open. The moment he has, he has good instincts uh, in that regard. But all around, he is a pretty solid tight end that we're going to keep an eye on. This is the kind of guy that uh, could really mess our day up if we don't. Uh, keep account of him and uh, keep tabs on him. Uh, but yeah, I I like Easton Dean quite a bit. Uh, as a as a tight end, so hopefully we we don't let him slip by. I don't enjoy playing him, but I enjoy him as a player. <laughs> yeah. Now we get into what is always my favorite part of the show, which is talking about the offensive line. Connor, would you like to take the left or right side of the offensive line? I'll take the left. I feel like I normally take the right. Okay. So, which is funny because you're left-handed and I'm right-handed. I am left-handed. Have been my whole life. But <laughs> the offensive line. Is that uh, a dig it to her? No. <laughs> the, the joke. But I know I would, it was. I, I, I can't make a dig it to her right now. I'd be like pretty insensitive. You couldn't even fight back. Like. <laughs> Uh, on this episode, Tua catches strays. That's I'm, what he I'm gets being for being ahead of Skyler Thompson. I'm, I'm not going to kick him while he's down. Like, he's got <laughs> enough to deal with. Yeah. In all seriousness, hope you get well soon, Tua, if yeah, you're listening I hope to he this. Does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, their offensive line, uh, they've allowed 12 sacks. They're giving up pressure about 28% of the time uh, right now. Uh, their left tackle, Tyler Miller, number 66, is gigantic. He is six foot nine, three hundred and sixteen pounds, uh, and is a redshirt sophomore. Uh, absolutely gargantuan individual. Uh, he has a fifty-seven PFF grade, fifty-four point five pass block grade, and a sixty-four run blocking grade, which is kind of the opposite of what you would expect for a left tackle. Um, but they didn't ask me. I guess so. he's also not the blindside tackle. That is true. I did forget about that. I wasn't thinking about it. See, I should have taken the right side for that reason. But um, <laughs> um yeah, he's not a, he's not great at recovering. Um, if he's even a little bit beat in pass protection, he's a little slow out of a stance, but he's a solid enough seal blocker if the defensive end is gonna be head up on him. Uh he can flip his hips once he gets his initial engagement as well. Uh, he can get to the second level too, uh, even if it's a little awkward getting there. Um, he, he does need help, uh, from a running back or H back or whoever with a chip, uh, when he's dealing with a wide rusher, uh, that is just not Tyler Miller's game. Uh, so he, he, he will need assistance, unfortunately. Um, but moving on to, uh, Jared Hufford, number 54. Uh, he's six foot five, three hundred fourteen pounds. He's a redshirt junior. Uh, got solid grades all across the board: sixty-seven point three PFF grade, sixty-nine point five pass block grade, sixty-seven point two run blocker. Um, 
he isn't particularly great at pass blocking to his left even if he's getting help uh he can get stood up at the line uh if you get to him fast enough oh, that's the key you have to get to him pretty quick um he does keep his head up pretty well um and the hope uh to find like an oncoming blitzer uh he's almost too proactive uh with that but uh it, it can be it can be to its detriment at times um and he he does pull a lot on those play action plays that we talked about earlier uh where they don't really pull other than to move the pocket he's the guy that's uh doing that most of the time and that's where keeping his eyes up is pretty helpful uh when he's having to move down the line and identify somebody coming in and uh move the pocket yeah it, it seriously is very funny watching him just completely like he he'll like make initial contact with the guy he's blocking and pass protection and then just not look at him like he, i can only imagine that he's Haley joel osmond he just sees dead people so he he thinks the dead people are gonna come get hunter deckers and he's just so <laughs> terrified by this fact but yeah it, that's he's fine moving on to their center trevor downing number 52 65 304 richard senior 66.2 PFF grade, 52.9 pass block, 70 flat run block. Plays a bit high in the running game, especially when he's blocking at an angle, which is such a weird problem to have because normally that means you aren't getting any upward force hit towards you to where you have to stand up. But I guess it's a problem he has whenever he's blocking at an angle. Maybe it's because he he feels the need to stand straight up because he can get into a sprint better. Who knows? And he's not the greatest at truly holding his ground in any sense. If you catch him with his feet even slightly off, he's gone. And I know you can say, well, that's literally every offensive. No, it, it's it's not every offensive lineman. Because some of them have a lot of core strength to where even if they aren't sitting, it's called sitting in the chair, as most offensive line calls coaches call it. It's where your knees are bent butt back it's literally just like sitting in a chair except for you're leaning slightly forward in your chair if you catch him before he gets to that position he's gonna get driven back a little bit next up is their right guard Darrell Simmons or Daryl Simmons number 55 63 307 redshirt junior 62 PFF grade 65.6 pass block 64.6 run block like most guards, he's pretty solid if he's met in pass protection and met head-on. Bull rushes aren't going to be terrible with him. And he does tunnel vision a little bit on the most immediate threat in pass protection, which makes him susceptible to delay blitzes, which is hilarious because Hufford has the exact opposite problem. So it's kind of like watching the duality of man on one single line. And it's really fascinating, honestly. But their right tackle is Grant Schreiber, number 67, which was my number in high school. He is 6'6", 315, a redshirt junior, 58.6 PFF grade, 56.5 pass block, 59.3 run block. And the first thing that you'll notice whenever you're watching him in pass sets is he, he doesn't get great starts whenever he kicks sets. He more starts with a shuffle as opposed to that kick back, which... I know I've met a lot of people who think that kick slides are kind of goofy because you're literally just like, it literally looks like you're just kicking the ground. Like you're like kind of looks like a really aggressive ballet dancer in a way. Cause you're kicking the ground with your toe while trying to slide back. 
but it really does help you get that backwards momentum. And considering he's the the right tackle in this system and he's the blindside blocker for Hunter Deckers, that's that's a skill set you'd really like him to have. So he's kind of susceptible to the outside rush because he doesn't get that kick. He also kind of gets caught leaning forward and doesn't kind of sit in the chair. We've already mentioned that before. He gets he leans forward a little bit and he can get pretty easy access to outside his frame into his chest. In other words, he's not really playing with his hands. He's not really playing with his arms. He's trying to body you, which granted, he is six foot six. It's not hard for him to do, but still more technical rushers paging Nate Matlick can probably take advantage of that. In fact, that he doesn't really protect himself that well. So that's the offensive side of the ball. And now we can talk about defense. Connor, you have scheme and personnel. Yeah, so uh, defensively, the first thing that's worth noting uh, is that this defense is most likely confirmation that Iowa State is the team that we talked to when setting up our 3-3-5, or at the very least, the team that we uh, scouted uh, significantly to put together uh, what we're doing. Um, but it, it is probably the most pure 3-3-5 um, that we've seen uh, by a long shot. Um, and then uh, on top of that, they do blitz uh, 30.48% of the time on their passing downs. Um, but getting into alignment, they mostly play stack uh, and they run a three high shell that Ace absolutely loves to look at because uh, he thinks it looks really great and nice. It's so nasty. It See, he loves so, it. It's so gross. <laughs> it works in the Big 12, but it's disgusting. And uh, coverage wise, they run a lot of zone, um, although they will have a uh, make defender on things like drag routes, make being man everywhere he goes. Um, then uh, it leads them to playing a bit more like match uh, than true zone. Um, although they have one defenders following a person around for a majority of the game. So I'd imagine this week it'll probably be Deuce. They'll have some guy lined up on Deuce and follow him everywhere unless they do it with Malik or something. Which They'll probably do it with Malik because it's normally a receiver. Yeah, which I mean... I don't know how useful that'll be, but they, they're they're welcome to try, I suppose. Um, but uh, that they they are very similar to to our defense. Yeah, it it really is scary the amount of similarities there are because it it even comes down to granted. I think that Klanerman has gotten a little bit more um, aggressive with how many he sends because. Iowa State likes sending people both on running and passing downs, but they aren't. Okay, Klanerman's calling five to six in to rush. Iowa State's more sticking four to five. And honestly, if this is, if there's a week where, no, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, we'll, We'll talk about it later. But talking about their defensive line separates into two groups, which is their defensive ends. Will McDonald, the fourth number nine and J.R. Singleton at number 56. And then Isaiah Lee, number 58. I'll go ahead and take the defensive ends. You can take the nose tackle starting off with Will McDonald, the fourth, he has 11 tackles, one and a half sacks, seven quarterback hurries, 
two passes defended, and one fumble recovery. Has a 72.7 PFF grade, 67.8 run defense, and a 75 pass rush grade. And he entered this year considered as a top half of the draft uh, edge rusher or edge player, which I don't think I ever really saw him projected as a first-round guy. I, I'm, I'm thinking I saw him projected more consistently as, you know, late second, early third, maybe going into, you know, late third. But he, the number one thing that he brings to the table is his instincts. Because he's a ridiculously instinctual edge player in, in all facets of this game. And, and he has a feel for where the soft spot in the, the tackle that he's rushing against is. So, And he has a couple counter moves that he can use from them as well. But another thing that he's very good at, and it goes with his instincts, is he can get himself into passing lanes and go for, go for the batted pass as much as he wants. And he's actually quite good at it. And... Another thing he's really good at is as a more contained rusher due to his natural athleticism. And as a speed rusher, he's really good at getting around the edge without getting run out of the play. And it's largely due to what is quite literally, don't laugh, dip and rip. That's what it called. And I know that sounds like an average high school baseball coach, but <laughs> <laughs> it he just attacks the outside shoulder, gets low, tries to dip his shoulder and then rip under so that way he can work to the backside of the quarterback. It's somewhat similar to what Felix has started trying to do when he isn't just going for the club or the I I am bigger and better than you move, which is just <laughs> bull rushing. But, you know, Will McDonald is, he's a legit edge player. He's good. J.R. Singleton is less so. He's not bad. Uh, he has two tackles, four hurries, and one QB hit. A 65 flat PFF grade, 67.8 run defense, 58.6 pass rush. His best asset is his general strength. He's not like overpowering. He's not a nose tackle. But he has enough strength to push a pocket or a guard to take a step or two back like in zone runs or even on true passing sets. And he has a move that it works for him, but I'd really rather not see it. And despite his functional strength being just, you know, good, he has a disgustingly strong club move that he can use right under the shoulder pad of the guard. And I have, I, I don't remember what movie this is, but every time I saw him use it, all I could hear in my head was bam, ragdoll. It, Cause they would just go flying. Like he, <laughs> he did not play. He sent people flying whenever he hit that move. But in the inside zone running game, he can kind of push a step too far in attacking his gap, which opens the cutback lane. So he's good, solid. His I think he's better than his PFF grade really says, but that's mostly because he has one really strong move that he has more potential to use. But you have the nose tackle and the Sam slash Will slash whatever position linebacker. Um, yeah, so Isaiah Lee. Uh, so far this year, he's got nine tackles and seven QB hurries. Uh, he has a PFF grade of 68.4, a 70.8 run defense grade, 65 rush defense, uh, uh, pass rush, I should say. Um, he does play defensive tackle in an interesting way. Um, he goes for the arms rather than the body. Um, and he, uh, attack, he takes the principle of attacking 
the elbows that's typically used in, in pass rushing only and uses that every single time. And he's oddly athletic for a nose tackle and a three, three, five. He'll be used on stunts and contain. And it's so largely effective, which is pretty unusual. I think you could say, yeah. Um, but yeah, those seven QB hurries from the nose tackle position. That is uh that kind of kind of stands out uh, is pretty interesting to me. Uh, but yeah, moving on from the defensive front, uh, we got into linebackers and we start with, uh, a kind of old friend, uh, for case they, uh, old target, I suppose, uh, Colby old Reader. acquaintance. Yeah. Old, yeah. Old acquaintance, uh, Colby reader. Number four. Uh, he was a graduate transfer from Delaware. Uh, K-State won him pretty bad, uh, but he ended up picking Iowa State. Uh, so far this year, he's doing really well. Uh, 23 tackles, half a sack, two pass defenses, and two interceptions. Uh, he's got a PFF grade of 75.7, run defense grade of 78.1, uh, 75.4 tackling, 75.3 in the pass rush, and a 69.8 grade in coverage. Um, he is all around really good. Uh, he's a jack of all trades linebacker that can play anywhere, um, which uh, can make it understandable why we wanted him. Uh, he's a lot like Khalid Duke, except his coverage is more natural. Um, he is a really solid tackler, although he does wrap up a little high, um, which can leave him prone to potential face mask penalties. Um, although despite that, he is a very natural athlete in space uh, and he can keep up with um, a lot of the more mobile QBs in the league. Although that'll be tested, of course, this week uh, with Adrian, who has shown himself to be the most explosive quarterback in the league running the ball. So uh, that, that'll be the ultimate test for uh, Colby Reader. Um, and after that, uh, Orion Vance, number 34. Uh, he has 28 tackles, one and a half sacks, three forced fumbles, uh, 74.7 PFF grade and 92 run defense grade, 65.5 tackling 57 pass rush grade, 49.1 coverage. Uh, he is the most Mike linebacker of all time, uh, <laughs> where he, he can defend the run and please do not ask him to ever do coverage. Uh, he's a true Mike. Uh, he does overrun his gap a little, uh, in the run game. Uh, the run defense game, I should say. Um, uh, this uh, does allow him to get some tackles for loss, though. So, you know, you, yeah, he's going to let some people through occasionally. Um, but he is going to make some big splash havoc plays on defense. He's incredibly strong. He's a great run defender as well. Um, but if you get him in space, you can probably get around him. So if Deuce gets a one-on-one with him, Look out. Gone forever. Yeah. He's not living. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and one thing I'll, I'll say about all of these linebackers is they all kind of move around a lot of places. Colby Reader is the one they mostly use outside. I've seen Orion Vance go outside. And the moment I saw that, I just kind of started laughing, which I'm sorry if that's disrespectful, but he really should not be outside the it's box. It's funny. It's funny. It's objectively funny. But their last linebacker is Gary Vaughn, number 32. He has 22 tackles on the year, one and a half sacks, one force fumble, a 65.4 PFF grade, 60.2 run defense, 64.3 tackling, 60.7 rush, and 68.1 in coverage. 
And the first thing that I really noticed is that he can get he can get caught looking and bite on the harder play action fakes. And that kind of makes him lose a step in coverage. But to his credit, he's a very, very willing participant in the running game. Note how I say willing participant. Note how I did not say amazing at it. Mm -hmm. He doesn't look to duck through or round block. He meets them. He wants to have that challenge. And uh, he doesn't meet it the best, but, you know, he he's taking up a hat. He's putting a hat on a hat and good for him. But uh, if you get a hat on him, he's not making the play. It's not happening for him. But in open space, he's not awful, but he's not great either. But as a as a pass rusher, he can get head faked out of his shoes by the quarterback. That happened up against Blake Shapin. And of all the people that I thought would head fake an edge rusher, I didn't think it would be Blake Shapin. Yeah, that's a little out of left field, but <laughs> yeah. But overall, he's a really he's an aggressively all right player who's very aggressive in how he plays and has a very hard nose. Now we can move on to the cornerbacks. I'll take the number two corner, or rather the cornerback who is number two. Then you can take the other two corners. Their number one corner is TJ Tampa, number two. He has 18 tackles on the year, two passes defended. He has a 78.3 PFF grade, 90.3 run defense, 89.1 tackling, and 73.6 in coverage. He's... He's a great corner. I there's not really much to say. He's a really good corner all around without many weaknesses. He's he's technically sound whenever he's in phase and drifting back into zones, but like most true zone corners, he does have that blind spot whenever he's running back. But weirdly enough, he's developed something that a lot of corners don't develop to the NFL, which is sticking his arm out to kind of feel in that blind spot. So he can kind of feel if there's going to be a back break towards him or away from him rather. So he's like, he's scary good in run support, like ridiculously good in run support as the grade would indicate. And he's also kind of the corner that is the comp is Julius Brantz. He is their Julius Brantz in a defense that has their version of Khalid Duke, their version of Daniel Green. TJ Tampa is their Julius Brantz. He's not as big. He's not as tall. He's not as lengthy, but he serves the exact same purpose. He can line up on the line of scrimmage in run support. And I would actually say he's slightly better at disengaging from blocks as Julius Brent. He's not as good a tackler, which is weird to say looking at his grades, but he disengages with blocks by snapping his entire body downward. And most receivers aren't taught how to deal with that. So he just kind of automatically wins the rep the moment that happens because most receivers aren't taught to block that. That's something that you're most tight ends aren't taught how to block that. That's like a line thing only, but that's TJ Tampa. He's a remarkable corner. I could see him being an NFL guy pretty easily, but the other two corners aren't slouches either. And Connor has you for those. Yep. So the next guy is number five miles purchase, a uh, former K state target actually, uh, out of Colorado, I believe. Uh, he's got 15 tackles and two passes defended. Uh, 61.1 PFF grade, 71.3 in the run defense, 45.1 tackler, and then a 58.5 coverage grade. Um, as his grade might indicate, although only from the grade, really, he, he does get asked to play a lot of run support more than you would think. Um, he 
uh, is pretty good at playing the force role, honestly. Um, and he also does play a bit of safety uh, if it's asked of him. Uh, in man coverage, he can get beat uh, from double moves uh, and receivers just getting a step or two, but he's not really getting burned in like a Tyler Lockett on Jason Verrett kind of way. He's also like, not he, getting, he's not getting Eli Apple basically. Yeah, pretty much. He's not going to be burnt toast or anything, but he, he is beatable. Uh, just not in an embarrassing sense. Um, so that's miles purchase. Other than him, you have Jeremiah Cooper, number 19. Uh, he's a true freshman. Actually, uh, he's got 12 tackles and two passes defended 67.5 PFF grade, a 77.2 run defense grade. Uh, 72.7 tackle grade and a 62.2 coverage grade. Uh, he's getting aligned in the slot or as safety number three more often than not. Uh, he's another really good run support corner. Uh, this roster is filled with corners that can tackle. Uh, he plays fast downhill and dives at the runner's feet pretty effectively. Um, although he is still a true freshman, so his zone coverage is not phenomenal. Uh, he is pretty late when reading the quarterback at times, a lot of that is just being young. Uh, and that that's a buildable skill uh, for a corner, a young corner. So uh, that, that is Jeremiah Cooper uh, in a nutshell is he, he is a talented corner, but he is young. Yeah. I, I, I was really impressed with him, honestly, like just, just watching his film. Honestly, there were times that he looked better than both of the safeties and Miles Purchase. He looked like the second best defend like defensive back on the field, which is good for him. He's probably going to be a like you know, having not seen a lot of other notable rookie defensive backs, he might be pretty good choice for all freshman team. But next up is their safeties. Led by number one, Anthony Johnson Jr., and kind of tossed up in the air for the second safety between number zero, Mason Chambers, and number 17, Bo Freiler. Um, Anthony Johnson Jr., he has 19 tackles on the year, two passes defended, and one interception, a 66.7 PFF grade, 72.1 run defense, 47.2 tackling, and 64.8 in coverage. He spends most of his time as the boxer slot safety. And he can get caught in neutral space playing the run, which means that he's trying to play both the force and fill defender, which you may be saying, oh, he's trying to do two roles at once. And let me make something abundantly clear. There may be eight people on planet Earth who can do that effectively. Like one of them is in college and it's not Anthony Johnson. (laughs) So he just kind of gets caught in, in neutral space when playing the run. But outside of that, he's solid at wrapping up whenever he gets his hands on the ball carrier, which tackling grades lying to you. That's probably the grade that I have the most issue with a lot. That and coverage. Those are the two that I I, I don't really trust that often. But the other safety is Mason Chambers, at least the one that I have notes on. He has seven tackles on the year, 55.9 PFF grade, 59-point run, run defense, 43.5 tackling, 55.1 coverage. He blends his time between the slot and the free safety. He's he's hard to write about, so I didn't really write anything about him. And knowing our luck, because we didn't write anything about him, he's about to turn into the greatest defensive player in history. So we may as well just prepare for the Mason Chambers breakout game. But the other safety who's kind of overtaken him on the depth chart, it seems, is number 17, Bro Freiler, who's 
honestly, frankly, the better of the two, just because of his coverage instincts. He is he kind of fills that same role where he's that free safety and slot defender. A lot more instinctual in zone, a little bit better of a tackler. I think his PFF grade is 70.7. So just overall a, a better player. But Mason Chambers was the has more snaps, I believe. But yeah, that pretty much matches up the offensive and defensive scouting reports. Now we can talk about the stories going to like to watch going into this game. Question number one, and I hate to say this, but does Iowa State's freshman kicker have a repeat performance of what he did against KU, where he didn't get a single extra point, didn't get a single field goal? He was 0 for he was 0 for 4. Granted, one was an accidental two-point conversion. So really 0 for 3. Um I'm going to say no, primarily because I just don't think they're going to have as many opportunities uh, to do so. And I do think when they kind of get into the gray area uh, in terms of range, I think they're going to go for it more. Like, I think there's going to be a subtle move to both keep his confidence up and also not have to use him uh, by Iowa State going forward. So, yeah, I. I agree. I could see them going for it a lot more. I was shocked when they didn't go for the the fourth and one that they had. I know. I, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Yeah, especially considering their their kicker didn't have the greatest day. But uh, we'll we'll alternate. You can do the next question. Yeah. Um, can K State force Hunter Deckers to be uncomfortable? Yes. Yes, I they can. <laughs> but also because he always looks uncomfortable. He's kind of like the kid in the school dance when it comes to like in the pocket to make this analogy to where, you know, like you go up and talk to him. He's not like weird or anything. He just kind of doesn't like being in the crowd. And Hunter Deckers really doesn't like being in the crowd of the pocket. So he could just kind of looks uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I buy it. Like... <laughs> I, I didn't really know where I was going with that analogy when I started it. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, I, I, I think K-State can do that, uh, force him to not be comfortable in the pocket. Um, I would hope so, at least. Uh, KU was able to do it. They got five sacks of Hunter Deckers. Uh, so I think that K-State is more than capable of getting close to that number, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. How does Klein choose to attack what is essentially the same defense that K-State runs? So how is he going to attack the mirror match? Uh, I'd imagine find holes. Uh, in the zone, maybe go for the seams uh, with Ben Sinnott some because uh, I, I feel like the seams and uh, the middle of our defense is generally one of the weaker areas and at least it has been in the past. Uh, so we we may try and attack there. Other than that, a lot of it's probably going to be establishing the run game uh, early and often, uh, which is something that we're going to do anyways. I'd imagine he doesn't want to use QB run too much. Because I'd imagine it's the sort of thing where if you use it too much, then it's just not going to be as effective. So I think he wants to kind of keep that as a wild card uh, where we can pull that out for an explosive play uh, when the time is right. Um, but I bet we're going to see uh, a lot of running uh, on the left side uh, in this game behind KT and Cooper. Yeah. The way that I think he's probably going to go about attacking it is kind of similar to what you said in how he's going to establish the running game. Because whenever Iowa State does meet bigger personnel, they still stay in that 3-3-5, but that outside linebacker kind of moves in a little bit closer to match where the tight end is. So I could really see what we did where we had 
uh, Ben Stinnett bust the bust the 69 run yard run open for deuce where it paused where he <laughs> where he just kind of kicks out the guy and just opens the hole for him but that didn't make it better but <laughs> um so i could see that being a really well-established run like maybe just a little bit of not necessarily outside zone but more sweep runs so i could see that being a big part of the running game in terms of how he's going to integrate the passing game, I imagine, or at least what I would do, is I would implement a lot of flood concepts, which is basically go go route and then a deep out, so that way in a cover three zone, the, the go ball clears out that back safety so you can get free access to that out. That's what I would do, at least, but I'm not Colin Klein. But... That's something that I'd look out for. Maybe, like you said, going balls up the seam. You know, just there are a lot of ways to attack this defense, and that's mostly because it's initially designed to stop RPO. So there are other ways that you can attack it as well. Yep. Next, next question. Oh, wait, never mind. You have it. I, I, I do. took it from you. You did. I was giving you a chance to recognize it. I <laughs> uh, can Clannerman find a way to defend the deep crossers and the drag routes uh, in this match. There is a very easy, not very easy, but there is a a pretty effective way at defending these two types of runs in particular, or two types of plays in particular. The first one is what is called cover one hole, which essentially means it's, it's cover one, so it's man coverage. You have one deep safety. And what the whole part of it means is Say you have Xavier Hutchinson running a crossing route, for example, and Echo Boido is on him. Echo will run him to the middle of the field towards the whole defender, and then the whole defender will take over the man coverage duty from there, and Echo becomes the new middle field defender. It does The reason why that works particularly well against crossing routes is because you don't have to deal with any changing momentum, and you don't have to deal with getting additional leverage. Because that whole defender is already coming back. So if they try to throw it at the moment the trade-off happens, that receiver just got thrown a murder ball and he's not going to catch it. Because he's going to be hit. He's going to be sent to the shadow realm. (laughs) Um, But outside of that, they could do what... I don't remember the specific name of it. I've always just called it cover three drive. Which basically means the moment that you think someone's going to be running a drag route, you have someone running as hard as they can towards that drag route to lay the boom. That's what KU started doing with Kenny Logan. So, and outside of that, the moment I think they start trying to run deep, this would be a beautiful week to run zero. Just a lot of just throw everything at Hunter Deckers and make him beat you. Because I don't think he can. Yeah, I'm kind of in that boat as well. Uh, bring as much pressure as possible uh, within reason uh, to stop those deep crossers. Um, uh, it, it worked last week uh, against Donovan Smith. Uh, so I, I, I think that getting Deckers early and often is going to be a really big part of uh, keeping this passing game uh, nullified for the most part. The drag routes are going to give up some of those just because, I mean, those are designed to get you like a few yards here and there. They're pretty tough to cover. Um, a lot of it is just the timing of when you get there. 
Uh, so yeah, doing that KU strategy with Kenny Logan, it'd be nice to have Kenny Logan to do that because he, I think he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, but we've got people on our roster that can fill that duty as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what their approach is. Uh, but I think you brought up two pretty solid strategies there. Yeah. Next question. We already kind of talked. I kind of touched on it. How much pressure does K-State opt to bring in in a play-by-play basis? I would expect to see a lot of Khalid Duke blitzing from the outside this week. And I would honestly expect to see Daniel Green not play necessarily spy, but play that uh, delayed blitz role where he just reads the quarterback's eyes and makes a hop at the right moment. Cause that's another pretty good way to defend drag routes and simulate pressure. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. I, I think that that'd be a great idea. I'd love to see, we've done this a little bit this year, honestly. And I think it'd be honestly another good game to deploy. This is bringing D hence uh, to take one step at the center and then kind of drop until like a, QB spy kind of thing as we've seen hence drop into coverage like I think two or three times maybe this year it's very uh, would it be the worst time just to have him take up space yeah. um uh there in the middle and just cause Deckers to think a little because that's the last thing Iowa State wants I think is Deckers sitting in the pocket longer than he has to so I think uh someone like that deployed at the right time uh could be really really effective uh and uh um, maybe slowing their passing game uh, or uh, doing a good job of throwing a wrench in it, at least. Yeah. Uh, but uh, next up, uh, the matchup between uh, most likely Julius Brents uh, and Xavier Hutchinson, who is going to win that matchup more often than not? See, that's a, I wrote the question and I still don't know the answer. I really think this is going to come down to a draw. Yeah, I, Where I, think I think yeah, it'll be a draw. Xavier Hutchinson's gonna get his. Like every I agree. and Julius Brantz is gonna get his. And with Hunter Decker's, his might be a pick. So I guess yeah. you could slant it towards Julius Brantz winning, but yeah. Uh, I do think a big thing, I think Iowa State is gonna bank on us running a lot of zone and running uh Hutchinson into the middle of the field. I think they're gonna spend a lot of time doing that, getting him away from Julius Brantz. Uh, if I had to guess, because uh, I, I do think that they they'll respect Julius Brents in this, and Echo is not much better uh, for uh, Xavier Hutchinson to go against. So I think Xavier Hutchinson is going to spend a lot of time running drags and crossing routes and ends, uh, maybe some screens with some help uh, and bunch. But I, I think they're going to do as much as they can to nullify the outside corner advantage uh, for K State, which this will be a good battle between outside corners. And uh, uh, the Iowa State receivers, because I think that the uh, one and two um, for both of those teams uh, is really talented. Uh, where we have Julius and Echo, and then Xavier Hutchinson and Jalen Knoll. So I'm, I'm interested to see the uh, battle between those guys. Yeah, it'll be a good battle to watch. It'll be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And speaking of battle, the last question is who wins the turnover battle? I'm going to say K-State because until they lose a turnover battle, I'm just going to assume that they're going to win it because I think even in the loss, we won the turnover battle because uh, I think we lost a fumble maybe and that was it. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm i rolling with K-State uh, to win the turnover battle here, especially uh, Hunter Deckers has struggled uh, to take care of the ball. Uh, he's already got six picks. Uh, not great in that regard i think he probably throws another one in this 
Uh, I I foresee a safety just kind of user lurking uh, seam ball. Wait, 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 that's not Ross Elder. No one can user lurk if it's not Ross, the Ross boss. Uh, it will. I he will be reincarnated uh, on and find some additional eligibility to do it just for this one game. Yeah, I this one, I I do agree with you. If I do think that K State wins the turnover battle, but if we don't, I feel like this defense is opportunistic enough, as in the Iowa State defense is opportunistic enough to where those turnovers are going to hurt and they're going to hurt bad. So the only spoilers, the only way that I could really see K-State losing this game is if they play right into the defense hands and let the defense beat them. I'm not scared of this offense. I'm scared of Xavier Hutchinson. Let me get that clear. I'm not scared of really anything else on this offense. Their defense has pieces. Their defense is good and their defense is cohesive, which is the most important thing. You can have a defense of perennially mid players, but if they're playing together, it's a nightmare. Look at how the Patriots have played since like the early 2000s. You cannot tell me that outside like Stephon Gilmore, they've had insane stars at every position. They've had guys that know their role play exceptionally well. That's kind of how you play defense. And that's what Iowa State does. So if we win this game, K-State won the turnover battle. If we lose this game, we almost certainly lost. Which I know is like, I know. I know it's obvious. But it's especially poignant this week. Yep, I agree. But moving on to projected offensive and defensive MVPs. Let's start off with offense. Say it with me. Three. Two, one, Adrian Martinez. Okay. At 9 a.m. Yeah, 9 a.m. Adrian Martinez. It this is this was difficult for me because I really do think that Iowa State's run defense is very good. So that made me think, okay, Deuce is probably going to be as contained as Deuce can be. I think their outside corner is good. So I don't think that Malik is going to have this insane day. I think Colby Reader is probably the one who draws Ben Sinnott. And all respect to Ben Sinnott, he doesn't win those. He doesn't (laughs) win those. So it really came down to Adrian Martinez or the offensive line. And I just went with Adrian Martinez because of how much of an offensive weapon he's developed into. Yeah, I, I felt like Adrian was an obvious pick here because he's just been the playmaker that's put the team on his back the last two weeks. Um, I, I think it will come down to him. Uh, Deuce, uh, there's a non-zero chance he gets uh, bottled up for his standards uh, in this game. So Adrian's going to have to make some plays with his arm and his legs. So I went with Adrian for this because I do think that we're going to rely on him for this victory. You can go first for defensive MVP. And- I'm with Kobe Savage because I think that he is going to have a big responsibility in uh, preventing some of those drags uh, from becoming really big gains. Um, that also, when they're running those deep crossers, he's going to be partially responsible for that too. So he he's going to have a lot on his plate this week. Uh, even when they're going over the middle uh, and the intermediate, he'll have some work to do there too. So it'll be a big week for Kobe Savage. 
uh, I think if all if all goes well. Yeah, Iowa State needs to hide their cheerleaders. Um, <laughs> I actually went with Josh Hayes for pretty much the exact same reason. I know Josh Hayes has been playing more of that. That basically we have a di- we have a difference in what we think the game plan will be. I think we'll play a lot more of drive zone coverage. It seems to be that Kobe Savage would be the pick if we were going to play like more cover one hole that we mentioned earlier. I think we're going to play more drive zone, which typically means that the slot defender is the one that's going to be driving on those drag routes. So I think it's going to be Josh Hayes, because if you shut down the drag routes and you shut down the crossing routes, they don't have an offense. Like they, It doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. Which granted, there are entire NFL offenses that are based on drag and crossing routes mixed with outside zone. Hello, San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> and granted, they have a Debo Samuel. Iowa State has a Xavier Hutchinson, who is good, but is not Debo Samuel. <laughs> that is true. Very true. But in terms of score projections, I have... The good guys winning. I have wheat surpassing corn as it always has. And I have the cats winning 27 to 17. I've got wheat 24 corn 14 cats over clones. Absolutely. So do you have any final thoughts for the Farmageddon matchup? Um, just that I am looking forward to another K-State game. I this this is the game that I I I don't know if you did but I had this as my pendulum game uh before the season uh this was uh the game that I looked at on the schedule and said this could make or break an Arlington run and we are in a position where it could do that so uh I did think we'd be five and one uh or four and one at this point uh did not think we would lose a game that we did, but we are the, the record that I anticipated. Um, so I'm going, I, a lot is riding on this game. I think uh, both for wanting to get to the big 12 championship and also uh, to get over the Iowa state hump and the climbing era, which we've not been able to do yet, but there is a perfect opportunity this Saturday uh, with the Iowa state team that uh, is still good um but they are not as uh objectively talented as they have been over the last few years did we um, beat them in 19 uh we did you know what yeah we did actually so we have gotten over the iowa state hump in the climbing era i completely it's, forgot about that it's the okie state and texas hump that we haven't gotten over that's it and uh baylor and baylor so uh i uh but regardless this is still a really huge game uh for K-State and their hopes to make it to Arlington for the Big 12 title come December. Um, So it's not a must win, but this is the sort of win where winning it does make it easier on you down the road. Yeah, absolutely. If we lose, I start sweating a little bit. I start sweating a little bit. I do too. This is a game that because first off, if you're an Iowa State fan who is listening to this, like the hundreds of you that listened to the, the one we did last year. First off, congratulations yeah. for making it this far. Second, why? Yeah. Why are <laughs> I, you here? Why are you here? <laughs> but this is a game we can, this is a losable game. This isn't like a, Oh, this, this, this is a game that very well could be held in doubt. Like I, 
I feel worse about this game than I felt about the Texas Tech game. I felt reasonably confident about the Texas Tech game, but I knew that they could beat us. This one, it's not a gimme. It's no gimme, and it's never going to be a gimme when you're the away team in the Big 12. The Big 12, anyone can be anyone this year, and I truly believe that. Well, I, I well, except for West Virginia. Everyone not named West Virginia, if West Virginia is playing on the road, can be anyone this year. West Virginia at home might be a different story. I hate Morgantown. I hate the fact that we have to go to Morgantown this year. But <laughs> yeah, well, they'll they'll be looking for a new coach by then, most likely, anyways. So yeah, hopefully they've given up. But <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Calf Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, we are. <laughs> Oh, no, not the voice crack. We are at Aggieville ACATS on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and CATS. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAllyCATS at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville AllyCATS merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doomtang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>